What's going on, everybody? It is that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 181, on this Tuesday, April 4th, 2023. Josh Callaway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman, also in Oklahoma City, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Man, we're good. We're, ready to, we're happy through spring practice. Uh, softball is in its second season. Basketball season has mercifully ended. We are good. <laughs> I was just really disappointed. I spent a lot of time working the phones, you know, working our sourcing network on Saturday, trying to figure out how Journal Booty is going to look as a tight end. But uh, th- then I looked up and was like, oh, it's the 1st of April. Obvi- obviously, uh, that-, that was, you know, I'm not usually a big April Fool's person as far as Twitter goes. Like, I'm like a prank in person. Twitter's dumb. Uh, of all the lame, like, team account ones, that was probably the best one because the General Booty over to tight end. Yeah. Nice little play on words. Can confirm Monday we were out of practice. He's not at playing tight end. <laughs> April Fool's Day. Thumbs yes. down. Hate it. Stop it. it. It's the worst. It's the worst. When we were in second grade, it's not funny anymore. Well, like Ryan said, it's the worst on Twitter because people just put out everything. There's legitimate. It's crazy. I, I, If you guys ever suggest this, I'm going to shoot it down because there was legitimate news organizations that put up like fake articles. Yeah. Uh, that, absurd to me there was i don't want to out anybody but there was like uh something i check every day during diamond sports season that put out this big to do about the ncaa unveiling a physical transfer portal that players have to like travel to that site and like walk through it which (laughs) on itself is like a funny idea except that's the third year in a row that i've seen an organization run that version of a story (laughs) and the uh, and the onion did it not on april fool so who will appreciate? Did you guys see the St. Louis Battlehawks in the XFL? Yes. <laughs> did you see that? Who they put out a big statement saying that the team was relocating to Los Angeles, <laughs> and uh, that didn't go over well. Fans were just mad. Fans, yeah. I mean, they knew it was an April Fool's joke, but they were like, "This is not funny." Yeah, joke about that. Like, who knew? OU fans and St. Louis Battlehawks fans can commiserate in their <laughs> one day of anger about going to Los Angeles. There you go. There you go. But yeah, April Fool's Day. Mm, don't like it. Keep we it. got through it. We've moved on. Vibes are high. I think like who've said, uh, the weather is is fantastic. It was actually, it was hot practice yesterday. Um, yeah. Got to wear shorts and short sleeves. It was amazing. Felt like summer. I had to break out the sun hat. Yeah, you did. You went Omaha sun hat, uh, <laughs> on us, which was uh, a good call because it was. It was hot and sunny out there. It's like pushing 90 yesterday. Um Good, good stuff. Good stuff. As uh, the spring game starting to approach, we're kind of at like the midway point ish of spring football right now. A little bit later, we're going to recap basically what we've learned so far, what we look forward to seeing, and I guess how it feels right now uh, through this point in the spring. But we'll get there. Let's recap what we've had in the last week since the last show. We've obviously talked to a bunch more people, a bunch more coaches. And all that good stuff. We were at practice yesterday, like I said. So we're going to recap it all for you. But let's first start with, uh, I think, probably the biggest news of last week for OU fans. Uh, Javante Barnes is out. Um, we were at practice yesterday. We didn't know that before we got there. Hoove and I roll into practice. Ross Lovelace was with us as well. And he's got a big boot on his foot. And he's on a scooter. And he's not practicing, obviously. And um, mm, not great if you're an Oklahoma fan. Now, we don't know the severity. DeMarco Murray chose not to give us any update yesterday, which is not shocking at all. Assistant coaches have never said anything about injuries mm-hmm. underneath Brent Venables. 
Um, but we're supposed to talk to Brent tomorrow, so we should know more details tomorrow. But without knowing the severity, how big a deal is this in your guys' mind that Javante Barnes is is missing time? And uh, obviously, we'll see if he's able to play in the spring game and whatnot. But not a great injury here if you're Oklahoma. Yeah, at the risk before we get dive too deep into it immediately, at the risk of sounding self serving. Excuse me, did we just go get invited to a practice? where the starting running back is wheeling himself around uh, with his foot in a wrap, his right foot, and in front of everybody, and everybody's out there taking pictures and putting it on Twitter and writing stories about it. What world are we living in where that stuff is happening? Uh, and Mecca Megua was sitting, the other thir- uh, walk-on uh, running back transfer from uh, from Washington, sitting on the bench. When you first walk into the field, you, you walk up the ramp, and then you walk into the field, and he's sitting right there with, next to a pair of crutches. I'm like, wow. That's right. weird. Um, Chapman McCown is walking around another walk on running back from Norman walking around the perimeter of the field while his teammates are going through individual drills, walking r- right directly five feet from us in the media with the cameras. I'm like, what message are they trying to convey here that, you know, we're opening practice and you're seeing everything and, and transparency is our thing that I'm sorry. It hasn't been that way since I've been on the beat. Since probably 2006, 2005, 2006, haven't seen that level of transparency. So that's really cool. Now, how bad is uh, how bad is Javante Barnes hurt? No idea. Um, bad enough that it's mm-hmm. spring practice. So if you tweak something, you don't want to push it, right? He's. I don't think he's in danger of losing his job, losing snaps, so to speak. Uh, so it seems to be, it appears to be on the visual side, precautionary. Um, DeMarco said the way he answered the question was uh, something like Javante, uh, is he okay? And and his initial response was, yeah, but I'll let the head coach talk about that. So he didn't seem like yeah. overly concerned. And uh, they, the, I will say this, they were all dressed in full pads that's for funny. whatever that's worth. Even the injured guys were out there in full yeah. pads hobbling around on their little scooters. I don't know how we got the pads on. That's not <laughs> the impressive part. How did he get them on? Well, that's that's what the uh, first off. You got a lot of soul mission guys who can help out, and good teammates. Uh, teammates <laughs> help teammates. Uh, no, it, obviously, we, we kind of have to couch the what does it mean for Barnes conversations. How we can get the update tomorrow right. from Brent Venables. Um, so I don't think any of us really want to speculate on that. Just in, until we get the update, it's not like we're, we're going what twenty four hours, so we'll know tomorrow. But I. When you look past that, though, Gavin Sawchuk, a guy who wasn't here last spring and then um, kind of was on the back burner for most of last year as Oklahoma was, you know, repping Eric Gray, Javante Barnes, Marcus Major in practice in the fall. So those are the guys that were playing more reps for him with Megwa uh, out as well. Um, more reps for Caleb Hicks and Dalen Smothers and, and Marcus Major. And so it's one of those things that as long as everyone's okay, as long as it's not a long-lasting injury, which, again, we'll find that out on Wednesday when we talk to Brett Venables, um, it could be something that helps the entire running back room come along a little bit faster because those guys are going to be getting more reps. Um, in the spring game, I think those guys are going to get plenty of reps anyway because, remember, the, e- the easiest thing, the thing we all have to fight is saying, hey, that lower running back on the depth chart is going to look good because that's the person that's going to be given a ton of carries in a spring game. But now we, we might get to see, um, depending on how the reps are divvied out and how long Javante Barnes is out, you might get to see Caleb Hicks, Dalen Smothers, those guys run as the second guys off the bench for Major or 
um, Sawchuck, which could be a lot of fun just to see what those guys are up to and how close they are. Because, I mean, you remember Caleb Hicks? That's Brent Venable said when he was playing at Denton Ryan, he was the best player on the field every single week. Um, and he's a guy that's looked incredibly comfortable from what I've seen in kind of the practice footage. He, he looks the part already. It's just a freshman coming in. Uh, so I'll be interested to see if that almost kickstarts some of the development of those guys behind Javante Barnes just because they're already on campus and now they're going to get more of those reps in practice. You know, um, the the Barnes angle, think about this, the, the winter football, winter workouts, right, and those coaches stations and all the grinding that they do. That is an absolute meat grinder to have to go through. You put your body through something, mm. especially as a young running back, young player, that you didn't know you were capable of doing physically. All right. Summer, tales are, t- the stories go, right? The lore is that summer's even harder. All right. So in between, you've got 15 football practices jammed into a little over a month, a little less than a month, actually. Is that right? Yeah, a little less than a month. Started in uh, late April, finishing in late uh Sorry, started in late March, finishing in late April. So they're at a stage right now where look at the running back room. Who's who's got the most mileage on their on their tires, so to speak? Javante Barnes kind of does, right? Yeah. So uh, I think he carried 120 times last year, something like that. Um, Marcus Major is an upperclassman who hasn't carried the football a lot. The rest of those guys are all young guys. You've got uh, a guy who's experienced in bar- in uh, Barnes and Sawchuck, right? Then you've got true freshmen, three true freshmen coming in, one's a walk-on, who are looking for playing time, trying to get as many snaps as they can. So I asked uh, DeMarco that question yesterday. Is this kind of a perfect scenario where you've got a lot of young guys who have experience but don't have a lot of tread on the tires or haven't, haven't worn off a lot of tread on the tires? And he said, yeah, it's a, it's a great situation. So um, there's that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention about the running backs was Jeff Levy wants to use them in the passing game. Um, the quarterbacks were doing this uh, this rollout drill. They were they had all four quarterbacks, five quarterbacks. They were doing the same drill where they would take the snap, fake the, fake the um, RPO one way, look over here to the left, take off running, and throw it into the corner of the end zone. The guy catching the football was Marcus Major. And he was making some unbelievable catches. Um, then they switched it around, switched sides of the field. And they what they were doing was they were flexing a running back out to the right. And they were bringing him in in motion next to the quarterback. And then they were the running back would flare out, you know, and go depending on what the defense was doing. Depending on the coach who was standing there coaching him, which was Jeff Levy at the time, uh, the quarterback would read where the defense was. The running back would read where the defense was and would throw it to him. Those guys were making plays on every snap. So I say all that, I'm just kind of dressing up the idea that they're going to try throwing to the running back some this year in in, uh, in games. That makes sense to uh, Eric Gray. It almost felt like we didn't notice it last year because Eric Gray and Brandon Willis, those two guys were on the field for what felt like 100% of the snaps that it was right. like, oh yeah, Eric Gray gets the football, whether it's running the ball, passing game, stuff like that. And so I'll be really interested to see. I, I kind of asked something different to DeMarco that, he was talking about he's looking for a starter. That was his line uh, when, when he was talking about the running backs. And uh, in my mind, it's like, okay, you've got Javante Barnes, who's kind of that powerful guy. You've got Sawchuck, who we've seen in space. Uh, we don't know a ton about what Smothers and Hicks are going to be at the collegiate level. You see Marcus Major. So it's like, what are you just looking for in your starter when you've got such a varied skill set in that running back room? And, and he basically was just saying, 
regardless of what you're doing, he's looking for consistency. And, and that that's kind of the, I feel like that comes from what Jeff Levy talked about a lot last year when we were asking about like backup quarterback play and stuff like that is he's looking for known outcomes. This offense wants to not be predictable in the sense that the, the opposing defense can line up across where you know what's happening. They want to be predictable in the sense that when Jeff Levy calls a certain play, he knows this is going to be the outcome of that play. And so uh, as long as those guys continue to do that, got to translate it to not just do it on air, but have to do it, you know, versus opposing defenses when the lights are on, stuff like that. It should give a a a nice wrinkle, a nice dimension to the Oklahoma offense if multiple of those running backs can can do all those skill sets, despite the fact that they're all so different. Yeah. And I don't want to clarify, of course they're going to throw to the running back. I said that earlier. Of course they're going to. That's what that Jeff Levy's made a history of that. But he was really repping the young guys who haven't had to catch a lot of passes in their high school careers or in their college careers yet. He was repping those young guys, and they were all making like over-the-shoulder catches and really athletic, you know, turnaround, real quick balls on you kind of catches. And so it was cool to see that, uh, that they're practicing that versatility in spring, so it put it to use in the fall. Yeah, I think the injury to, to Barnes would be a bigger deal if it if the uh, and we get again we don't know the severity of it right now, but just in general it'd be a bigger deal if it was a different position. Uh, the running back room is really deep. Um, I've been really impressed with uh, with how obviously how Marcus Major looks, but also saw Chuck and then the two young guys. I've talked about that before. Caleb Hicks, that guy is. I really like him. There's a few practices we've seen. Dalen Smothers too, but Caleb Hicks has caught my eye a little bit more over these first uh, three practices that we've been able to go to. And so you're a little uh, more able to sustain if he is out an extended period of time, as opposed to if this was maybe Jaleel Farouk, you know, with the receiver room or, or something like that. So we'll see how that develops. But uh, obviously we'll get an update from Brent Venables theoretically tomorrow, and uh, we'll go from there as far as that injury goes. Other injuries, Jaden Davis was out at practice yesterday. Um out as in not participating uh, off to the side. Can I Walker as well uh, was not participating. And then Robert Spears Jennings was practicing, but he had a, I don't know if you saw who he had like a big brace thing on his shoulder. Uh, so something to kind of monitor there. Peyton Bowen also back with the team. Um, so there's some people curious about that. He was back out there participating, which is good to see. Um, other than that, uh, I think just the usual suspects guys, we already knew uh, that Brent Venables announced back at the beginning of spring. Walter Rouse was actually out there doing some light work. Um, as well. So Oklahoma getting healthy, uh, relatively speaking, few guys out right now, but you know, not, not horrible at, at this point uh, in the spring. Um, so like we said, Hoove and I were at practice yesterday. Anything that jumped out to you, Hoove in particular uh, yesterday, getting out there, Ryan wasn't able to be there, but uh, Hoove and I were out there along with Ross, anything that stuck out in particular? Yeah. Uh, I watched the linebackers for quite a, quite a while. Um, Got some really cool photos. We'll get those up when we can at all mm-hmm. sooner. But um, this is not a knock on Ted Roof, okay? It's not. <laughs> Ted Roof coaches linebackers. But make no mistake, Brent Venables coaches linebackers. Oklahoma might have one of the best linebacker coaching cores in all of college football. They got Brent Venables, okay? And he's out there, hands-on guys, okay? Right. Pointing, they're, they're, I'll tell you some story here in a minute. They've got uh, um, Ted Roof, who's back there. You know, he's got his little play sheet, and he looks at it between plays, and he's yelling this, and he's telling them that. They also got James Skowski, All-American linebacker from Clemson, who's basically an analyst or a GA right now. He's in that role. He's helping out. 
And he's telling, I'm, I'm telling you, get your shoulders more vertical. Okay. Don't be hunched over like this, like this. And he's not talking about in your stance. He's talking about right before you strike somebody. If you get your shoulders uh, less vertical, okay, hunt, get hunched over. I mean, he is into the fine details mm. of where your elbow needs to be before you hit somebody or before here comes a, a throw over the middle. Your feet should be pointed this direction instead of this direction. It's unbelievable how how absolutely atten- what attention to detail they have. And I, here's an example. Here's a perfect example. They got these little cones out there, right? And I mean, they're like this tall, little bitty cones, six inches, seven inches cones. Venables is standing next to one. There's a drill going on in front of him. He turns around and looks. He looks down at the cone. He bends over. He picks the cone up and moves it. And I don't think he moved it more than a half an inch in any direction. I'm not sure he moved it either way. I think he just picked it up just to pick it up. He's got this constant stream of perfection going on in his mind. I noticed that and I'm like, he didn't even do anything with that cone. He just bent over and picked it up and put it right back down where it was. You know what I mean? It's like, right. And he was pointing it to a guy. I want you to be right here, right here. And he kept pointing and pointing. I must've taken like 20 photos. He was pointing down at the ground. Come stand right here, right here. Like you do with your dog when you're doing your dog training here, right? Heel, right? Right here. And then he bends over and picks up the cone and puts it down. I'm like, He's got something going on where he's trying to impart to these guys details to the finest point absolutely matter. Yeah, and wasn't at practice, but was there for the post-practice interviews and talked to Dasan McCullough. I have a big story that that we ran this morning on All Suitors. That's already up there. But that's one of the things he talked about is that when Brent Venables is coaching you and he has that attention to detail, it really relays – Oh, you have to be on top of every single little thing in this defense. And I think that's been an adjustment for some of the guys. Um, like you think back to last year, the big kerfuffle that was made about um, Danny Stutzman going on the podcast on the Prairie and talking about Brent Venables yelling at him for, no, you take, you're taking one too many steps or, or less steps or whatever. Mm. And I think that as, as Stutzman's gotten more serious about Venables' defense. And I, I think that you saw that's why he kept getting better and better as the year went on last year because he was on top of those little things. And so now imagine Stutzman, who we know is a big personality, right? But all we've seen of him is he's the vocal leader of that defense. I, I can't imagine what shift, or I'm curious to see, excuse me, what kind of shift maybe in the meeting room and the film room is going to come from the guy that personality-wise could be considered, you know, the jokester, but he's the one going, no, 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 no. We have to follow all these details. Look what it did for my play. Because it, it seems like the newcomers uh, really understand that they, they're trying to absorb every single thing that's being imparted on them because it, it's a, a lot of fine-tuning and, and fine-tuning and talk about those little details because the details of what got Oklahoma beat a ton last year. When you lose a bunch of close games, guess what? That's not talent gap that's details and fine margins and it'll be interesting to see if if that sinks in and translates to saturdays or if that's just something that the team is still trying to grasp as we head into october and november yeah you know something that stuck out to me at practice today and not that we didn't already know it but miguel shavis is a lunatic in a good way (laughs) in a good way Um, in a good way it was great. I was over there kind of in that same area who with the linebackers, and I'm watching the linebackers as well. But then my attention is called to the DNs, which are down in that corner, because he is 
basically screaming at, at his guys to the way they were doing this drill was was basically Miguel Chavis had this big medicine ball type thing and guys would hit it and knock Chavis back and then go and like hit one of their other guys who was like waiting just to be hit basically and he didn't like he didn't feel like they were hitting hard enough and he was screaming at them decide who you want to be like he's yelling at them that they need to hit harder and the next guy goes I can't remember who it is I think it might be Reggie Grimes I'm not sure it doesn't really matter and he does it, and then he comes over to hit his guy, and as he's getting ready to hit his guy, Miguel Shea screams at him, stick his ass! He yells it, just screams it, just totally... I was like in a trance for like two solid minutes just watching because he was just a cartoon character. Uh, he's Miguel Chavis is is a pleasure. He, he is a lot of fun, and he, he gave a... He was great last week. We talked to him last Wednesday. Yeah. And he, he gave the quote of the week, probably, when he said, P.J. Adebore is longer than a Monday afternoon, yeah. which is... Very true. His arms go down to the ground, basically, it feels like. And he just, uh, he has a way about him that you can tell why players would like, it's obvious, why players would like to play for him. Even just yesterday, I don't know who of you saw, because it was the same time as DeMarco, but I'm over there talking to Trace Ford, and Miguel Chavez sneaks up from behind Trace Ford while we're talking to him, doing the media scrum, and he comes around the side and he grabs the mic of, of Chris Williams with News 9, and like holds the mic up to Trace Ford and asks him like a couple of questions. Basically, Danny Stutzman style asks him like, "Who's better looking, your position coach or you?" Like random stuff like that. <laughs> he's a he's a goofball, but he's a, he's a fun coach and uh, somebody yeah. who feels like. Uh, I mean, not, again, not that we didn't necessarily already know, but seeing him actually out there for longer periods of time, it's clear that yeah, he he's an intense coach. He's a fun coach, but the players really respond to him so. Excited for that that group this year as well. He's a treasure. You know, you do, who you don't hear from much on uh, at practice, coach wise. Even standing next to the drill, you don't hear much from Todd Bates. Yeah, the very quiet, reserved, very methodical. Which is funny because he's you know his guys are right next to to <laughs> Davis, and it's like they're you know the the D tackles are looking over there at the DNs going golly. You know, the DNs are over there looking at the tackles going, oof. So it's just interesting, the dichotomy there. Especially because we know that they're so close, right? What, what did they – they said they called them salt and pepper at Clemson yeah, right. because they, yeah. were, they were like this. And and uh, it, it's just interesting to see the, the balance of that stuff because, like, there is no balance in the linebacker room. Venables will get after you like a psycho <laughs> in the good way. Ted Roof will get after you like a psycho in the good way. Kwiatkowski will get after you like a psycho in the good way. Valai's all over the place. Maybe Brandon Hall's the oh, Brandon Hall and Demarco Murray. Those are the only other two coaches that are just kind of like quiet, unassuming, doing all their coaching. Absolutely, but uh, they're the ones that maybe you don't hear in the background of the videos that uh, Josh has posted. Also, uh, one last practice thing. I think Jackson Arnold's definitely looking more comfortable. I, I said that yeah. after the first uh, practice that he kind of missed some throws. He kind of looked like a guy at his first spring practice. He kind of was a little high and wide a few times. That's not really happening anymore. And they're not doing anything crazy out there. But when he's doing those rollouts, I mean, I watched like five, six, seven reps or so. They were all money. I mean, right on the dot basically every time. So he's looking more and more like the guy that we know he is. So that that's a small thing. But uh, that as well. He, he's, he's looking more and more sharp each time we're out there. Uh, what about the uh, interview part of it? Anything that stuck out from yesterday? Uh, last Wednesday, like I said, Miguel Chavis was great. We got a bunch of players last Wednesday as well. And uh, several more yesterday, along with uh, DeMarco Murray, who we referenced earlier. Um, any one or two thing that jumped out um, that you guys wanted to touch on? 
Uh, Tyler Guyton seems to have an affection for Walter Rouse. He does. The, uh, he the does. tight end. I'm, I'm sorry, the, the transfers, right? They're both transfer tackles, uh, Guyton last year mm. and Walter Rouse from Stanford this year. Um, he said, that's my guy right there. He said, look, and he's out there. He's the only one out there working. And he pointed and he said, look, look at him. Basically and had to turn around and look. <laughs> it's interesting. He's really engaged in that, uh, you know, bringing him in and making sure he's Walter Rouse is a part of the, uh, the culture there at OU. Yeah, that, that was interesting. We, we talked a lot about DeMarco. I thought, uh, Dasan McCall was really engaging. Um, I, I spent a lot of my time with him, like I said, and, and, uh, Part of that piece up there too is is the group of guys that are, are kind of helping him along, and it, it he mentioned you know Danny Stutzman and Jaron Canick, but also Justin Harrington, and he kind of came from from a spot of Justin Harrington and I are, are similar body types, and and Harrington's been able to say, hey, I know you didn't really do the coverage side of things in Indiana, so here's some of the the tricks of the trade for for grasping the coverage and stuff like that, and I also got to talk to. Dasan a little bit about what is what info is he passing along to his brother who is going to be linking up uh, in the summer to play uh, we would assume safety at Oklahoma so so that's about allsooners.com as well I, I was just really impressed by Dasan and, and after him and I were done uh, I, I was asking him he has that you know linebacker club beanie I don't know if anyone's seen it and I was asking him I was like is that like an NIL thing is it something you found <laughs> he was over there on my phone with me sifting through Instagram for like five minutes trying to find like the exact person that had it and so like he was just a really engaging guy and yeah. it was just funny because like the OU media team saw he was like sifting through my phone they're like coming over like what's happening here and they're like oh he's trying to help Ryan find something that was asked it, it, it just he seems like a really engaging, happy guy. Justin Harrington talked about he's he's one of those guys that's never met a stranger or anything like that. So uh, I think Oklahoma fans will be really excited. As we've heard from some of the other players that he's very talented. He's still getting up to speed mentally in the defense. He talked a ton about that. But I, I think he's kind of primed to be maybe a face of that defense here in the next couple of years as he mentally catches up to what this defense is. Obviously, physically, he he is just built different and, and he's a really engaging personality. I, I think that Oklahoma fans are going to be very familiar with Asan McCullough and, and really enjoy what he's going to bring to the table while he's in Norman. Yeah. Justin Harrington, uh, you referenced him there. He, he, I asked him kind of just about his comfort level relative to spring last year. And he was like, Oh yeah, much further along. Very. He's, he's a guy who's very at peace with kind of everything. Like he's kind of, it's his last season. He knows that. He's kind of a uh, roll with the punches. He feels good about everything. Going to take whatever role he gets and make the most of it. He's a very even keel uh, guy. So it's kind of cool to, get to hear him. I didn't get to talk to Trace Ford at all at the February media day. Um, so yesterday was my first chance getting to talk to him a little bit. He is great. He, he was a lot of, he was very good yesterday. And I kind of asked him just about, does it, do you feel like, you know, that you're like an Oklahoma player. Like I'm sure it was weird for a while and he, he acknowledged it was, it was very odd for a while. Uh, and he's like, but it, I'm settled in now. You know, it doesn't feel weird at all anymore. It feels like I'm, I've slipped right in. I'm right at home, all that good stuff. So that, that's good to hear if you're an Oklahoma fan, cause he's going to be a guy that, you know, a lot is expected of uh, certainly this year. The one last thing for me last week, talking to LV Bunkley Shelton, who I don't think we'd ever talked to before. Um, caught with him for a few minutes and, it was interesting because he he chose not to. I think it was I can't remember who asked him about last season. He chose not to talk about it. He is like I don't really want to talk about last season. Basically, it's like clearly not not thrilled with the fact that he didn't really ever play. Um, but then he talked about how close he is with JJ Hester and 
how happy he is that Angel Anthony is around. And kind of just, that feels like kind of the, the holy trinity right there of those three guys. Like, probably only one of them is going to have a big role, if any of them. Um, those three dudes. And they're all close, apparently, and they all have to uh, compete for it. And that's kind of like a little interesting thing there. It's like Oklahoma needs like one of those guys to step up, but probably really aren't going to have much of use for more than one. Because you have Farouk and Stoops, Gibson Anderson, Gavin Freeman fits in there. But if the, the one of those three could kind of step up, that'd be huge. So like It's kind of a little transfer competition of those three. Of like, who's going to be the guy there? Kind of interesting. Um. Leave it to Hoove to ask the uh, the jerk question in the group, right? Uh, I asked Tyler Guyton. <laughs> I asked Tyler Guyton about oh, yeah. the because I've been wondering about it ever since last year when TCU got up to you know almost won the Big Twelve and goes to the college football playoff, goes to the big is the Big Twelve's first competitor in the national championship game. I've been wondering about it. I've been wondering about it, and I, I couldn't remember if we asked him in December. I don't think we got to him. We weren't able to have the availability with him. So I asked him, I said, was was last year watching TCU from afar, knowing you were there the year before as a starter almost, uh, he would have been a rotational type player. Last year he would have been a starter. Was it bittersweet? And he said, yeah, it was absolutely bittersweet. He said, but I love my team. I love my guys. Those are my guys. I root for them. I pull for them. He looked at my camera and said, I love y'all. Uh, yeah. You know, he was talking about, um, it was just, he went to the game. He went to the national championship game and uh, rooted on TCU. So that was just really cool. He got a chance to kind of express how he, what, you know, TCU and, and his teammates meant to him and what that time meant to him. So in the end, I'm glad I asked that question because I don't think he had actually gotten a chance to talk about it before publicly. Kind of the weird world of college sports that we're in now, right? That you, you've yeah. got um, not, it's not just former teams, but, other guys that you were on a team with last year, if you transferred, other people may have transferred. And so now it's like this, this weird web that we've become so used to in the coaching world, right? Of why I worked on staff with this guy and this guy, it feels like that with all the players now that they've all got this mini network into a bunch of programs from if they're a transfer, their old program, their old teammate, like there might be two or three degrees of, yeah, I'm keeping tabs on four different teams this year just because uh, I like the guys that are there. So it's kind of an interesting window into uh, how those relationships are, are kind of transforming and, and maybe is why you, we should cherish when you have very chippy rivalry games because everyone else is so kind of buddy-buddy and, and, and copacetic because everybody's been around the block a little bit. It reminds me uh, the proliferation of these seven-on-sevens that we go cover in the summer, which are coming up, by the way. We're going to have to get busy and start covering some of these. These guys all play together. And it reminds me of the AAU basketball circuit where you're on this team and that dude's over here. He's from this city and he's from Houston and he's from Dallas and they're all coming together. And then the, the, the following month, they're all on a different team or, or there's different teammates on, and they all know each other. And by the time they get to college, it's like, oh, yeah, I played AAU with him. Well, now it's happening with seven-on-seven seven in football. Uh, same thing. So um, that's another element of this that these guys and mm -hmm. social media and recruiting, as big as recruiting is right now, these guys are all like best friends before they ever actually meet each other. Yeah, if that's not motivation for Tyler Guy, I don't know what is. Uh, the fact that he, yeah, like like who said, he he said he went to the game. He sat front row and, and watched. Um, he's supporting them, but I'm sure it, I'm sure, you know, they'll stick with you a little. I mean, you yeah. were just there and you leave when they win the title or don't win the title, but pl play in the title game. Uh, didn't come close to winning. Um, I, uh, 
<laughs> I wasn't over there because I was with McCullough while he was going. Was there a follow-up of, so thoughts on Georgia and how you have to block guys like that if you want to win a national title? <laughs> You're going to be playing against Georgia possibly in a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> what were your thoughts on that massacre? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I also, I love, we talked about a second ago, but I love the, the Walter Rouse was, was so funny because he was just like, Walter Rouse was like one of the only guys still on the field. We're in the big stadiums where they were. And so we're out on the, in the, on the actual Owen field and he Walter Rouse is out there by himself doing some stuff. And Tyler guy is just like, look at him. Seriously. Look at him. And he's like, look at everybody. Like, no, look at him. Like, it, was, <laughs> it was like a father with a son. Like, look at my kid. Look at him. He's making me so proud. It was just really funny. Cause he's, it was like the Paul Rudd meme almost like, look at us. <laughs> well, especially cause <laughs> so, like, like Rouse is a, is a fifth year senior. So it's not like a, a young guy. Right, out there. Right. <laughs> it was just really, yeah. The way he said it was really funny. They clearly have a nice, uh, Nice little chemistry there, and uh, we'll see. that. That's presumably Oklahoma's two starting tackles, so uh, good to see if you're an Oklahoma fan. All right, we're going to take a timeout. Uh, like I said, halfway point of spring ball essentially here. What have we learned so far? What are the best positions, things like that? We'll dive into that next as well, as well as recap pro day, which was last week in Norman. We got to see all the guys. Ryan and I were both there. We talked to a bunch of dudes as well. What stuck out? Who won pro day? We'll talk about that next as well right here on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, it's John Hoover from my friends at Trade Pros. Spring's right around the corner, and you're going to need to make sure your air conditioning system is running right. So right now, through the end of March, Trade Pros is offering a $25 spring tune-up. Now, that's a $100 value, but this month only, $25. The spring tune-up is a comprehensive preventive maintenance check. They're going to do a full system diagnostic. They're going to check your Freon levels. They're going to make sure that your amperage on your system is where it's supposed to be. Heating and air systems can be complicated, and you want to know that your electronics are running at peak efficiency as the weather gets warmer. So just call Michael at TradePros, 405-593-1585, or go to TradeProsOKC.com. I think it's time to call TradePros today. I think it's time to On Twitter, you can follow all Sooners at all underscore Sooners. Ryan's at underscore Ryan Chapman. Who's at John E. Hoover. I'm at Josh M. Calloway. Our website is allsooners.com. We are a Fan Nation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Lots of good stuff on allsooners.com right now. Spring football in full swing the uh, last few weeks. We've had tons from it, tons more to come. Leading up to the start of the spring game, also some great recruiting stuff on there, courtesy of our own John Hoover, who caught up with 2025 QB commit Kevin Sperry a couple weeks ago. He was up playing 7-on-7 in Tulsa. Great interview with him and his family. Who? You want to plug that a little bit? Lots to like there if you're you're trying to learn about um, Mr. Sperry, the future quarterback at Oklahoma. Yeah, when you get a quarterback commit two years ahead of his class arrival, you're going to see a lot of writing. You're going to see a lot of exploration of who this young man is. And I think this this story that I posted uh, yesterday um, tells tells kind of a complete story of why he chose OU. You keep hearing these recruits say, oh, yeah, it's, it was about the, about the fit, and it was about uh, the coaches being authentic, and it was about the, my relationships and all that stuff. His was about my my parents were overcome with emotion when I was at taking a visit to campus, one was last June. The other one was last July. So two parents, two months, two visits, both of them broke down in tears on mm. their visits. And his dad was explaining, you know, how he felt, what kind of overcame him, made him 
feel like, oh boy, Oklahoma feels like the place. He wasn't pushing Kevin <laughs> Jr. to Oklahoma, but he was saying, he was telling me, this just feels like the place. This feels like it. Uh, and so here, this was again last summer when he was in between his freshman year of high school and his sophomore year of high school. So still a long way to go. Uh, I asked him, I said, listen, OU fans right now are nervous. Can we keep a quarterback? They're asking, can we keep a quarterback for two years committed? Right. And his response is, yeah, they can keep me. I'm, I'm in, I'm all in. I'm a hundred percent locked in and here's why. And he explained it. It's really, really telling um, how important it was emotionally for his dad and his mom. Different reasons, totally different reasons. Again, different meetings, different people that they were talking to, but the same feeling that they had. And the best part, of course, I've told this part before, he was taking an unofficial visit to spring practice in at Texas. He was on the field with the coaching staff watching the Longhorns practice when his phone rang. He looks at the phone and says, Jeff Levy. <laughs> How cool is that? He answers the phone. Hey, coach. Hey, just want to let you know uh, if you're still interested in Oklahoma, we got a scholarship offer for you while he's on the 40 acres, while he's at Texas on the visit. He hangs up the phone. Uh, they get in the car. They start driving back. And his dad's like, what's up? Why are you smiling so much? And he says, I got an offer from OU. And he says, I, he just said he didn't know how to process it, didn't know how to process it, his feelings. But he gets home, talks to his mom, tells his mom, I'm going to commit to OU. The day that he got the call, which is incredible. So at, while he was at Texas. So I thought that was a hilarious part. There's some more details in the story that you guys need to log on to All Sooners and check it out. It's a really fun story. Good insight into what we always wonder, like, what do, what is the recruiting pitch actually like, right? Because you see all the, the social media stuff and we hear the, the talking points and press conferences. And so really good insight to there and who's story about, oh, this is why there is such a huge response to Brent Venables, the recruiter. Um, and, and it kind of gives you a window in a guy who – Offensive guy, right? You shouldn't be the oh my gosh, the Brent Venables, but it, it's what he's set up in the the entire program. So I would really encourage you if you're curious what that looks like and why Oklahoma stacked a really nice class last year and why they're already ahead of the game in 2025. Who's got it? Absolutely, I choose to believe that Jeff Levy did that on purpose. Uh, he somehow knew he was there and was like, 100%. "I'm just gonna." That was yeah, not he by had chance. his own tract or something, and he. he he was like, I'm going to do this while he's there. It's just a power move. Uh, just just for people like us to talk about it, which we are. Um, good stuff. And I uh, recommend you check that out, allsters.com. Kid is really good. Uh, there's a Obviously, so it's down the road a little bit, but there's a chance that that guy is uh, a star at Oklahoma in, in the future. And you can say that you were in on him early because of Hoove and allsters.com. So be the smartest guy at the water cooler uh, tomorrow with other OU fans. All right, like I said, Spring football is about halfway through, give or take. A little, little less than halfway in terms of days. But it's essentially two and a half weeks in, two and a half weeks to go until the spring game, which is coming up rapidly on April 22nd. Kyler Murray statue, all that good stuff. Going to be a heck of a day in Norman. We're going to be there all, all day. It's going to be a, a circus. Hopefully the weather is as good as it's been this week uh, for that fateful day. What have we learned so far? What's been the big takeaway? Whether that's a position of strength, a position that's a question mark for you, an individual player who you're in on, anything. What, what, what's been the number one thing that sticks out in your mind when you think of uh, spring football so far? And is there anything that you want to learn over the last uh, couple of weeks here? 
I'm going to take the low hanging fruit. Uh, the the position that I've been most impressed with is the uh, the linebackers have come a long way, or or seem to have come a long way. We don't see them in games. They're not out there trying to tackle Kansas State running backs or you know Iowa State quarterbacks or anything like that, right? That's that's later. We'll figure that out later. But right now, the linebackers look like the most improved um, position. Mm. The best position to me looks like the defensive backs. Those guys, uh, I was watching real close yesterday. Reggie Pearson, for instance, um, took a wrong step and realized in the moment, at like before that, like it was a drop drill. They were dropping in coverage, and then you break on the ball wherever the quarterback's shoulders lean a certain way. He, he breaks in that direction, and then the coach throws the ball, and he reaches up and catches it. While he was in the break, he realized he had taken a wrong step, and he started kind of admonishing himself. But then, uh, and, and then the coach throws the ball and is yelling at him while the ball's in the air, and he makes this tiptoe grab with one hand, one hand to catch. Okay, snags the ball out of the air, jogs right in front of me, and goes, "Yeah, but that was a sweet catch, though, coach." <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, he knew he was like, "Oh man, what are you doing? Come on!" And then he caught the ball. He's like, "Oh yeah, but coach, that was a sweet catch." Uh, so just the confidence and the experience level that's there at that position, at the safety position. I was watching the corners as well. Jay Belay was going through some real, real, real fundamental, basic stuff with them. How to turn, where to put your shoulders, how to drop your foot so you don't trip over yourself. And a couple of guys were still tripping over themselves, you know, the walk-ons and the freshmen and stuff like that. And they would yell at them and say, no, no, do it like this. And the upperclassmen would get in there and do it perfectly. And the DBs look good. The linebackers look improved, and the wide receivers look very thin. And I don't mean skinny. I mean very young, very green, very inexperienced. Um, they've got a lot of growing up to do in the wide receiver crew. I agree. Yeah, not really a a position thing for me, but this is like a blanket statement, especially for the defense. Uh, and we kind of alluded to it earlier, but it really feels like last year and this off season. The coaching staff has found a way to hammer home. Like the players are now repeating the talking points. It's not the Brent Venables is the best defensive coordinator, which you still hear. It's the these minute details are what needs to happen if you want to play elite defense. Because that's a storyline that followed the entire Lincoln Riley era, right? Is that the team was undisciplined in terms of penalties, things like that. But what did they have? They had a Heisman Trophy quarterback that could kind of paper over those cracks last year. You don't have Caleb Williams running the offense. And that meant that all of those little holes and things like that mounted up to a bunch of losses. Right. And so it, it feels like that is something that's truly seeped through. Like I said earlier, we're not going to know if that has sparked improvement till they get on the field. Cause that's not really something we can measure in practice viewings or at a spring game even. Uh, but that seems just like a positive step that that breakthrough appears to have happened because, I, I mean, top to bottom, it's details, it's all the all the coaches you hear detail-oriented, and the players are kind of reciprocating that, which I think is a good thing. On the flip side, John, you mentioned not just the receivers look thin. Like I have had questions about Austin Stogner coming in and being like a dominant force at tight end anyway, just yeah. because... Um, he, he is a guy that has an injury history that his production hasn't quite matched on the back end of that from what it was before that. And then you've got, I mean, Josh, you talked about this last week, I think. Helms is injured in spring. Llewellyn's injured in spring. I don't think that Blake Smith came over from AM with the expectation of playing like a massive, massive, massive role. 
I know he, he'd love to do that, but I don't think that was like the expectation. You're flipping like defensive linemen over one defensive lineman over and Bray to, to just take some snaps to get these tight end room through spring. That's a big question mark for me. And I wouldn't be shocked if they don't go out and try to find somebody in that late portal window after spring football, just to say you need another body in case one, one of the, uh, physical recovery tracks doesn't go as planned that to me looks like a position that hey the wide receivers might have to develop because i'm not sure that this is like nailed on that you're gonna have to have a tight end on the field every single play this season if uh if the room is that thin good good insight uh i will add this caden helms was walking off the field yesterday full uniform had 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 his helmet on okay his hair was all messed up and sweaty uh and what that tells you is he's out there doing some work don't know what extent. Don't. I'm sure. sure he's not full speed, but at some point, you know, you get you work him back onto the field. That's kind of what I saw yesterday. Uh, we didn't see him practice. I didn't see him practice, but at the same time, I saw him coming off the practice field with his teammates and, and his guys in his position room. Ryan, I think you're spot on about Stogner. If he's healthy, uh, I might make like a bold prediction at some point as we get closer to the season. He he'll catch sixty passes if he's healthy. Yeah. No, I. It's, I'm glad Ryan brought that up because yeah, the I think Ostagner is going to be really good. I, I I do think that they're the comfort level for him and the connection with Jeff Labby. I, I think there's a or uh, Joe John Finley is what I meant to say. I, I I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic there. But you're right, Ryan. I mean the room is super thin right now. I mean the when they're doing the drills after him, it's like okay, who is this? <laughs> okay, this is a D lineman catching passes now. Okay, this is a basketball player catching passes. Like it, it's. It's, it's a hodgepodge thrown together room. And a big part of that obviously is Helms and the well and both being banged up. Um, but yeah, big question mark right now. Uh, that, that, that's a good point. On the to good his side credit, me, Josh, to his uh, credit, Joe John Finley, relentlessly positive about, Oh yeah. You know, Hey, Hayden Bray is out here helping us and he's catching passes. He's doing stuff he hasn't done in college. We love him for it. You know, a uh, basketball player from Cameron university division two. He's out here. I'm telling him he could be the next uh-huh. Antonio Gates, you know, <laughs> it's saying a mouthful, but Joe John, he's approaching this with the ultimate positivity. So that's got to be good. Yeah. Cause if I were in his position, I would just, every time Stogner turns, I'd be like, Austin, you're the, you're the only, you're the only guy. Like you, you have to stay healthy. It reminds, me of, the, it reminds me of the Kennedy Brooks, uh, Eric Gray situation two spring, like uh, springs ago where you're sitting here and you're just like, if they're healthy, you're not worried at all. And that's the thing. Like if Stogner's healthy, you're not worried at all, but that's a big if to carry through in a very violent game. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. As far as like the positive side to me, I definitely, like we said it earlier, the running back room, I I'm a big fan of it right now. Um, I think Hicks and Smothers have both looked really good for young guys, especially Hicks. Marcus major looks to be in phenomenal shape. Don't know what he's going to be. He's always had something keeping him from being a guy, but he looks great right now. Uh, we'll see how that goes. And then obviously you mix Barnes and Sawchuck in there, and there's depth there, a lot of depth, most in a while. Uh, and then Toby Walker, who's, again, just a bowling ball human. When they did that W drill last week at practice, he was trucking dudes everywhere. So he's an option if you need him. He's an option. He's there. So they got MVP lots of, of guys there. And last then, year. What's that? MVP of the spring game last year. That's right. He ran people over in the spring game last year. So this is his time. This is time to shine. And then to loop into whose point earlier with the defensive backs, I agree completely, but even more specifically the safeties to me, there, there's so many guys. I'm a huge fan of Reggie Pearson. Robert Spears Jennings is a guy who's coming along. Peyton Bowen looks the part as a five-star kid. 
Um, all Key Lawrence, Billy Bowman. I mean, they got just guys on guys on guys that are options yeah. back there. So I think that Brandon Hall's unit is is really good. Uh, lots of options back there. With with safety, the question is, how can you keep that guy off the field? Right? Yeah, they have like Key five Lawrence. of those. Yeah. yeah, they've got five of those dudes where it's like, well, he has to play. Well, they've only got two positions plus the nickel. And we all know the nickel is kind of amorphous between the, the cheetah and the nickel. So I don't know. You, you're talking about your best 11 players. You may have to line some safeties <laughs> up at the end or something sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, they do. It, it's a good problem, obviously, but they have lots of options. And then uh, one last little tiny thing for me. The five-star we talked about at the beginning of spring, where we were excited to see the five-star guys all look the part to me. Uh, Peyton Bowen looks great. Jackson Arnold, like we just said earlier, getting more and more comfortable as he goes. And then P.J. Adebore, like like Miguel Chavez said, longer than a Monday afternoon. I mean, he just he looks different than everybody else out there. And I don't know how that's going to translate on the field, but I feel very confident saying that at some point, whether it's this year, next year, two years, I don't know. He's going to be a, a, a big-time problem for, for other teams because he just has a natural frame and, and everything that's just not normal. So those three five-star guys all look the part to me, yeah. uh, which is good to hear. I agree. Imagine PJ with uh, on the roster at 275 pounds. Right, right. Wow. Disgust. This is horrifying. It's terrifying. <laughs> Michael Myers. <laughs> so, yeah. About halfway through spring ball, second half uh, coming up on the way. And uh, like we said, we'll be back uh, out there tomorrow talking to Brent Venables and uh, a few more players and whatnot. We haven't heard from the only assistant coach we haven't had yet are Bill Biedenboe and Todd Bates. So the expectation is that we'll get both of them over the next, uh, you know, couple of times out or so. Uh, get Venables again. Venables yep. Brent Venables tomorrow. And so uh, keep up with allsooners.com and, of course, his YouTube page for all the latest from spring camp shifting over to pro day recap last week we were there ryan and i along with ross were at everest uh for pro day all 32 teams were scheduled to be there i assume they were all there it seemed like most of them if it was pretty high number if not all of them were on it on hand to watch all the OU guys do their thing um who ryan or who you were keeping tabs from afar ryan obviously you were there with me well what was the 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 uh the What's the right word? The gauge, I guess, that you got on how guys did, uh, whether it's one guy who really stuck out in a good way, bad way, winners and losers from pro day last week. Oh, man. Ryan, <laughs> you were there. You want to go first? Yeah, I, I thought that um, Anton Harrison carried himself like a guy who was very confident of his draft position and who knew yeah. – I need to do one or two small drills as opposed to going through the entire thing. So I think that that's a really good sign for Anton. Um, Deshaun White, obviously, was going to be a big day for him. Him and Chris Murray were the two going through it that were the guys not invited to the combine. And, and I thought Deshaun White, and he talked about this after, um, that that first 40 he lined up for, it took him what felt like in the moment 30 seconds to get everything set. And you could tell he was going through all of his, I need to line my hand up with my back knee. I need to place it here. That like You could just tell that he was almost, from my perspective, overthinking that first 40. And then he talked about that he had felt those nerves. And then he when he, he ran the 40 toward us, then he goes back to what is essentially one of the end zones at Everest. And Key Lawrence was back there. One of the guys that was just like, 
settle down, simmer down, and, and that Deshaun steadied in after that. And I thought that he looked good after that. Not that that 40 was bad. You could just tell that there were some nerves there. So I thought that was really interesting. Eric Gray didn't do a lot, which I think kind of shows um, teams want him to run a 40, but he, he didn't roll back through there or anything like that. So I, I thought that was just a, a status quo thing for him. And it sounds like that on the other side of it, Braden Willis at a slight hamstring pull, I think is what he had said, like some, some tightness, which just meant that he didn't get to like run a 40 or things like that. And he was a guy that you felt like could have improved on some of those stuff as far as, you know, the, just the, the testing numbers and all that. And it, I think it was just a little unfortunate for him that he was going through some stuff. But uh, if he felt that tightness, he obviously wasn't feeling 100%. And I just I think thought he said that was it was in his calf. Yeah, it was in his calf. Um, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think that's just a little unfortunate for him because he's one of those guys that when they go through the blocking drills and stuff like that, you can tell like all the scouts will put out. You can tell what guys actually were asked to block in, in college and what guys just had to learn how to do it for the drills and stuff. And Willis is one of those guys that actually can do it. And so I thought that on the, I don't know if that's a negative. It's, it's just, it, it's an injury. It happens, but it, it feels like Braden Willis had just an unfortunate situation where he really could have maybe improved on some of his combine stuff. And I, I'm not sure he got the chance to do that with some injury, uh, you know, minor injury concerns. Yeah, Braden's one of those guys that's the combine didn't help him and his pro day didn't help him. But every time somebody he's up on somebody's board and he's going to be on all 32 boards because he's just a flat out football player. Every time he comes up on their board, they're going to remember back in their mind all the tape that they watched of him kicking somebody's backside, right? They're going to, they're going to, all the dominating uh, individual blocks he did. He was the leading, most highest graded player, highest graded blocker on the team in 2020, you know, mm. regular everyday, got a lot of snaps kind of player. Um, he, he posted the best pro football focus grade. And I think among tight ends nationally, his blocking grade, his run blocking grade was second in the nation. So among tight ends, that just tells you right there, he's an absolute football player. Uh, coaches love him. He's a leader. He's a spokesman. He can be a face of the program type player. Um, he just got all these qualities that you want. Hardest worker, you know, first in, last out kind of guy. Uh, he's got this reputation. And every coach is going to have his back whenever the NFL calls. Um, something else I noticed is not the the timing stuff, the, the, the cone drills or any of that, but just the position drills. Eric Gray looks like a million-dollar running back in the position drills. When he's asked to flare out or read a safety or make a break or cut across the middle or come back to the football, whatever it is, in the passing game especially, in the passing game, he is gifted. He is just has a sense about him. It, it reminds me of DeMarco Murray, how he just knew more about the game of football than the people he was playing with. And it just, there's an instinct that Eric Gray has. It reminds me of DeMarco Murray. Makes sense. Makes sense. There was always, they, those two always had a, a, a connection there. Clearly, clearly very close. And I actually yeah. asked Eric uh, at Pro Day about DeMarco, just helping prepare him for this whole process. I was like, did it just, you had a guy who played in the NFL for a long time as your coach. And uh, he basically said, Look, I came to OU because of DeMarco Murray. He, I wouldn't be here without him, all that stuff. So that makes sense. That tracks. I don't really have anybody that I would – I hate to say, I guess, but I don't have anybody that I think really was a big, obvious winner of uh, Pro Day. Nobody really stood out big time. I do think that if I had to pick one, honestly, I might say C.J. Colden. Um, he did some things to impress. Um, some of his, his, his 
drills and cone work and his, you know, 15, you know, 5, 10, 15 or whatever it is, would have marked like in the top five, top 10 at the combine for cornerbacks. So I don't know if he's going to have a shot to get drafted. Probably not. But he may have done enough for somebody to throw him a undrafted free agent contract that maybe otherwise wouldn't have. And then we'll see what happens from there. So I thought he did as good as could be hoped um, at, at the uh, pro day last week. On the flip side, um, and this is, I'm not an NFL scout by any means, but I, it really didn't, it really felt like Jeffrey Johnson didn't have a great day. He was very slow on everything. Uh, Ryan, did you get that same feel? Like he, it felt like, uh, he, yeah, he didn't do a lot to help himself. Yeah, it felt like him and it felt like Chris Murray both. It, I know that for like linemen, the entire 40 is not what's judging you, but it's like that first 10. But it, like those guys were the ones that consistently look like, they were pushing so hard that there was a moment that I felt like Chris Murray was almost going to like fall over after the finish line. And, and like Jeffrey Johnson was kind of, he wasn't needing, we have to make like a lane for them to run through so they can finish their 40 and have plenty of time. And it's basically like a blow off lane. And Jeffrey Johnson wasn't even going where he needed to utilize that. He was able to peel off. And, and I was just like, yeah, that's it, it. It just didn't look like, all the other forties that were being run by, by everybody else. If that makes sense. hundred percent. So. Speaking of forties, uh, we all know Wanya Morris hurt his hamstring at the combine. He has, uh, he was not able to participate in the pro day. Um, so he's going to, he has scheduled his own Wanya Morris pro day for April 11th in Norman. I think it's in Norman. So, yeah, I'm not sure. I presume, uh, but he yeah, was there. his own pro day. He was there. Yep. Yeah, he was there. Um, I also think Marvin Mims just continued to help himself. I think I think there's a chance that, and again, I'm not an NFL draft expert by any means, but I feel like Marvin Mims has got a shot to maybe go as high as like the second round, depending on how things go. Um, his teams have a lot of positive momentum right now. And uh, he was out there. Obviously, the big question with him after last year, drops, didn't drop any passes. And it's your inside, it's Everest. You have Lossman just throwing you balls with no defense, but no drops. He caught punts for teams as well. Um, out there, didn't drop any of those. So, I think all in all, I think Marvin Mims has helped himself, and he's uh got a chance. I think he's pretty in good shape for day two, and maybe second round. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Did you for, see the uh, this this? I guess he's a special teams coach working with Marvin Mims on the punt returns, like uh, during the drill session. I don't remember like, the guy. He would go up and he would stand right next to Marvin. And they would be like looking up at the ceiling and he's pointing and he's moving over and then he points over here and then he was, he's make gesturing and making all these motions. And I'm like, <laughs> huh, that's not something I'm sorry. It's just not something you see every day. Most times it's right. punt return, punt return coaches out there going, catch the football. You know, <laughs> he's not giving like pointers <laughs> on angles and where the ball's drifting to. It's, it was unique. It was different. Yeah, I think I think that might have been going on. The receivers were the last group to go, which meant that Josh and I were over there doing bunch of interviews and stuff kind of as, as right. the first people. So I, I don't remember seeing uh, Marvin working with the special teams guy. So I, I think though, that was because Marvin was like the last guy we got. He rolled, he rolled up in his cinnamon toast crunch Crocs was very proud of those. And then ready to That's rock what he said. Ball. He said the first thing, then he said like the first thing he was going to buy was more Crocs. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> he said uh, like, somebody asked him. Ball winner right here. That's the same thing I'm going to buy is more Crocs. Right. That's all I'm wearing for the rest of my life. <laughs> something along the lines of like, what what was something that NFL scouts asked you? And he's like, a lot of them wanted to know what the first thing I was going to buy was. And then somebody asked like, well, what is it? And he was like, 
probably get some more Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> These ones are getting rank. Yeah, that was a funny Marvin. I, I did yesterday. I did see a, and I don't know honestly who put it out. You see these things on Twitter and social media every day. Uh, but I saw a top ten receivers in the NFL draft. Uh, top ten Marvin Mims was not on that list, and I was like, we all know mm-hmm. Marvin how productive he can be, how explosive he can be, and I was like, ten? You don't have him in the top ten? I find that hard to believe. The other guys on the list were really good. Trust me, I, I vote on the uh, Bolitnikov Award every year, and it it was hard this year. There was a lot of really good, talented, explosive, dynamic, productive wide receivers. Marvin Mims, uh, I think he's among that group. He just hasn't had a chance to really showcase it yet. So we'll see what kind of pro he is. I take him on the Falcons in a heartbeat. Go ahead, and they need a receiver. Good yeah. value. Rams need him. Pay attention. Pay attention. We Raiders also are, uh, Raiders are in the tank. So you guys can, you guys, Marvin Mims <laughs> can help people win games. I, that's not what I'm looking for. So you guys can have him. The, uh, we also got some insight into the, uh, the USFL draft process. Remember how Sean White got drafted into the USFL and we're all like, what, what the hell is this? Basically, his reaction was very similar. <laughs> he basically, he said uh, he like got out of a workout and like got called like you've been drafted by the USFL and he he didn't he's like I didn't even know I was in the pool to be drafted by the USFL so uh, that 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 filled in some dots that because uh, remember at the time we were like did he have to declare for it how how does that work no they just said hey this is happening and he was I, like cool so I think he said yeah. that he got out of the shower after the workout got a phone call it's like you've been drafted and he's like the draft's not for two months what are you yeah. talking about. <laughs> Yeah, you've been drafted. He was like, the draft is in April. <laughs> yeah. Also, Deshaun White, he was very honest uh, and candid about the the lack of a combine invite. Really stuck in his craw. Uh, you could tell. He didn't try to play it off of like, uh, ah, whatever. You know, he, he was like, what did he say, Ryan? He said something along the lines of like, that'll stick with me for a while or like yeah. the rest of my career or something that he yeah. didn't get the he had said that it'll stick with him the rest of his career, but also that it'll fuel him through this off season, through all these workouts and things like that. Um, Cause he had to do the initial, huh. uh, it took him a little bit to get over it. I think he said he had to remove some of the entitlement of, of thinking he was going to go to the combine. And then it, it flipped to, instead of being disappointed, I'm going to use it as a motivator. You can kind of tell. And so, uh, and I wonder if that played into him being a little nervous for that first 40 because he he had said that he's a guy that nerves is not something he's usually had to deal with. He's not one of those nervous guys right before a game or something like that. And so that was kind of a, a little bit he had said it took him by surprise, but he was able to work out of it quickly, which I think just shows the the caliber of athlete that he is, that he can acknowledge yeah. something's a little different. And it just took one quick you know conversation with Key Lawrence and a few of the other guys back there to, to be fine the rest of the day. And that concludes our pro day coverage. We'll see what happens with the draft here coming up in uh, later this month. It's the weekend after the spring game, so uh, we'll uh, have spring coverage wrap up, and then we'll turn our attention to where these guys all end up and how highly they get uh, drafted and what their team is and all that good stuff coming up later this month. All right, we're going to take another time out here. We'll come back. Final segment. We'll hit some other sports here. Another player to the portal for OU hoops. And it's a doozy. We'll talk about that next, as well as wrapping up the weekends that were for the Diamond Sports. Next, right here on the All Sooners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well... 
then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 181. Get some other sports here on the way out. Send you on your way into your the rest of your week. Winter Tuesdays, I can't really say weekend. It, well, Tuesday is too far away. So rest of your week, I'll have to say here as uh, another Tuesday pod for us. Here, By the time I get this uploaded to YouTube, it will be the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> it takes who several several hours to uh, to get these the video versions up. So. Shout out him for, for grinding to get the videos up. Uh, I don't know. Why are the dicks so long? Do you have a theory? Um, I don't know. I cleared off my hard drive. It's like half full now. And so that's not it. That used to be it, but that's not it now. I don't know. Something about my hard drive needs to be like repurposed or reconfigured or parsed oh. or so, whatever the terminology is that computer people use. I need to basically clean my hard drive up, I think. <laughs> And uh, I might try that today before I start uploading. <laughs> well, what you guys don't know is that on days we record the podcast, who tries to start turning the video around and gets that thing exported? It really ties him down on the laptop front. So that typewriter over his left shoulder is actually what he writes all of his copy on, usually on Wednesdays, as he has to pull that down off the shelf and he starts writing all of his copy and then pops it in later. So uh, th- that's that's the real magic that you're missing when uh, when who was doing the Lord's work to turn around this video for our YouTube audience. That's actually like a 1954 model Underwood. Funny story behind that. My wife's grandfather won it on The Price is Right in like 1955. Nice. Oops. What? That's amazing. Yeah, that, was the, that was the prize that he won on The Price is Right. So we inherited that and uh, it went into my stash, of course, because I'm the writer. Nice. I uh, my only typewriter story I have is I went to tour the uh, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway when you sent me to cover the the COVID NCA tournament, and they took us up. He the our tour guide knew I was a writer, so he took me up to like the writers' perch, and he's like, "So this is the same perch that was here back in the day, and writers used to have to bring a brick with them because because they would have to have their typewriter." They'd carry their typewriter in a suitcase and the brick. And then once they were done with copy, they'd have to set it down and put the brick on top of it so that every time the cars flew by, all of their copy didn't just fly below to the uh, oh my god to the audience below. And I was like, dear God, thank you for thank you for computers. Thank you for laptops. That sounds like a disaster. Yep. That's awesome. No, thank you on all of it. No, thank you. I'll stick with computer. I typo too much for, for that. For you have to I'd be like, you have to be mentally just sweating about every decision you make on the keyboard with uh when you're doing a typewriter um all right other sports here last night was the uh national championship game for college basketball one shining moment amazing just so good so good the NCAA tournament is just sports perfection um UConn won the title last night uh Jim Nance made me cry a little because he said goodbye and that was very very sad um before though that we got to the actual end of the season had another player hit the portal for Oklahoma, per reports. He hasn't announced it officially yet, but obviously reliable places have reported it, that Jalen Hill is uh, looking for a new place to play next year. This is the fifth guy to hit the portal. 
And if you've been, if you watch the show, listen to the show regularly, you know that I've kind of downplayed everybody that OU's lost so far. I mean, they've all been bench players. Like I said, the four guys who had transferred before, one total start in Big 12 play of those four guys, Joe Bamasio, BJ and Cortez, CJ Noland, and uh, Benny Schroeder. You will not hear me do that here. This is a disastrous loss for Oklahoma, in my opinion. Jalen Hill, OU veteran, was their best player last year. Him and Porter Moser are close. He loves OU. He actually like cares about OU. He's an OU guy for, out of high school. Like just somebody you can't lose and uh, hits the portal. This is a this is a tough one uh, for Oklahoma. I this is this is bad in my opinion. What do you guys think? It's yeah, I, I agree. It's bad. Um, we talked about it yesterday while we were waiting for uh, practice football practice to get over. If you can't keep him, if you can't keep Jalen Hill, right. From transferring, who can you keep? I mean, he was Mister OU. He was the guy that was in the program. He'd been here a long time. He'd played for Lon Kruger. He'd played for Porter Moser. If you can't keep him, who can you keep? Uh, Port. We we know the infamous nickname by now, Portal Moser. Um, he's going to have to dive in again. He's going to have going to go the other way. The Portal uh, yeah. Moser nicknames are coming the other way. Everybody leaves. Exactly. That's a good point. Um, but Jalen Hill, tell me you guys didn't think that he was capable of a lot more this year. 9.7 points, 5.8 rebounds per game. Uh, Porter talked a lot about his defense, how he, I don't know if he like switched his mentality to more of a defensive stopper, but um, I don't know. I, I, I was expecting 14, 15 points a game out of him this year, and he, he was under 10. So um, big loss. Don't get me wrong. Big loss because he's mm-hmm. one of those guys that, hey, Porter Moser says over and over, we're trying to build a culture. We're trying to establish a culture. We're trying to lay a foundation. There goes a foundational guy. He's gone or he wants to be gone. He hasn't officially left yet, but if he leaves through the portal, as all indications are, that hurts. Yeah. And, and he's a guy too, that you remember the first couple of big 12 games, it was like Sherfield and Hill were the scorers. You were like, okay, if they could just get a third guy online, they might be able to figure something out. And then as the big 12 slate, more on Jalen Hill kind of came back down a little bit. He popped up again, had that huge performance against Alabama. But the thing that's going to hurt on this one too is so yesterday we saw CJ Nolan exit the portal. Where is he going? St. Louis. So, right. That's a, a conversation we had a lot this off season with football, right. Of, okay. But if you're losing guys to Texas state, stuff like that, are you actually getting better by freeing that roster spot up to bring in someone that is a power five player? Uh, what I've been told, like the early interest on Jalen Hill is about half of the Big 12 conference is in on it. And that tells you that's mm-hmm. why this is a big lot. Like he is a guy that can fit into teams that are good, right? Is it more of a, hey, you're the fifth starter. You're here to be the defensive stopper to give us some athleticism rebound. And if you score a little bit cool, maybe, M- maybe he's better on a, lesser offensive role on a better team but if you lose him in conference like that's a disaster you have you have a conversation about grant Sherfield. i don't expect him to come back uh if jacob groves if that's another guy that saw his playing time cut into cut into cut into if he decides not to come back you're not replacing half the roster you're going 75 percent of the roster in the portal or freshman coming out that's the second year in a row you've lost a ton of people. And then because of that, then someone like me looks to the fact that KT Turner stayed on staff exactly one year. 
David Patrick stayed on staff exactly one year and then took the Sacramento State head coaching job. That's not like you a glamorous, you know what I mean? Um, you lost Brady, the assistant, before the season even started. It seems like a trend that people would rather leave Norman than stay and build, which can't be the trend if you're selling yourself as a guy that you want a team that wants to grow old together, all that crap, which... Porter struggled with the with the transfer portal leaving, and and I think that's going to become a very real storyline. I think those are questions Porter's going to have to answer because this isn't just the took the job, no one's on the roster, you got to take everybody in. It is what it is. You are now having guys that have worked with you for a year, or guys that have worked with you for two years leave. Yeah, he, this is a time for self reflection for Porter to uh, to look at look within himself, look at the man in the mirror, and say what. Okay, maybe it's not all of them. Maybe it's me. Um, and I'm not uh, casting, you know, aspersions or saying he's doing anything wrong. I'm just saying he needs to look at the way he's running his operation and saying, why are all these guys leaving, coaches and and players? Mm-hmm. I see this Jalen Hill leaving as a potential potential if he gets in the right place. He'll have some opportunities, but potential. Remember Brady Manick goes to North Carolina, oh, and we're all like. Man the heck is Brady Bannock going to North Carolina for? So he can go to the freaking Final Four. That's what he's going to North Carolina for. Play a big has role. the potential to do that if he lands in the right spot. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, with everything you guys said. I mean, like Ryan said, if, if he ends up in the Big 12, ugh, ugh, coming to Lloyd Noble next year, and like that, that, that's that's rough. And like I said, the four guys before, I really, I, I it really didn't, not trying to even spin zone. I really didn't bother me for Oklahoma. You need open spots. Those guys weren't big impact players. But Jalen Hill is a guy that you hope to have back as your veteran leader, a starter, certainly, obviously, great on defense, captain type of guy, very mature. Uh, ouch. Major ouch. Because those two guys fell close. They, you know, Porter talked all the time how much he loved Jalen Hill for two full years, basically, he talked about how much he loved Jalen Hill. And he leaves anyway. Rough, rough, rough. And all indications are Jacob Groves is going to leave too. And if that happens, Grant Sherfield, why on earth would he come back? <laughs> why would he stay? And so at that point, you basically have no players. <laughs> I mean, you just don't have a team. You have Uzan and Owa and Godwin are the only guys back. The only guys back. Outside of uh, you know, Northweather and uh, Yaya Kita, guys who we never saw last year. Did but- I? Did you take Sherfield accepting all those like all-star invites and a three-point contest invite for Final Four weekend is like a, I'm trying to show myself off for some sort of pro aspirations? Because that's how I took that. I guess. Yeah, it was kind of strange. I didn't know. It doesn't seem like guys who come back usually do those things. Right. I mean, I think at least. Did I don't it, know. Interesting to track. You're not going to win a ton of games in this conference with two sophomores and two freshmen and Sam Godwin as your starting five. Like, yeah. And that would be the starting five next year of current guys signed or on the roster. Most simply put, Oklahoma is just not in a position to have this much turnover and expect to, to do anything. And I know it can happen. Kansas state had a lot of turnover last year going into Tang's first year and look what they just did. So it's not impossible, but yeah, it's very, very, very slim right now for Oklahoma. I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. They feel like they're in a really rough spot right now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but most of Porter's success at, at Loyola was because of older teams, established teams, seniors, um, guys like that. He hasn't even begun to have that opportunity at Oklahoma yet. 
Yeah, he hasn't been able to have that opportunity, and the records weren't great at Loyal. It wasn't like he was churning out 30 wins a year, whether it was young or old, and the final four run only came when the team was older. Like It was a true growth process, peak, and then obviously he's able to... He took that success at Loyola and was able to make another tournament run pretty much immediately turn around, right? But uh, there's no... like The trend at Oklahoma is worse. You're like 95% dead right now, and you go to 100% if you lose Milo Suzon or Otega Oa. But if Milo Suzon portal sometime in the near future, don't even play next year. <laughs> Just take a year to not even have a program and completely reset because it is over if, if you lose Milo Suzon. So that's, the, that's, the, that's where attention turns now uh, as they move forward. Rough, rough, rough right now for that team. On a much more positive note, Softball swept Texas. Uh, they did what we all thought they would do. When they play good teams, they're only ever really in danger of losing when they just overlook somebody. If they're dialed in, they're not going to lose. That just doesn't happen. They swept over the, the Texas over the weekend. Ryan, you were at all the games. This is your account. Lean on you as per usual. Um, you can bring up the Mike White stuff whenever you want. Uh, however you want to interweave that into the mix here. But they do what they do. They swept. They came close to losing on Saturday. They were trailing in the seventh, but didn't matter <laughs> as per usual. Didn't matter and uh, keep on keeping on. They keep doing their thing. Yeah, it for just three games. There is so much to get into. First off, Oklahoma mission accomplished. They set the new regular season attendance record on Friday at Hall of Fame. Um, I think it was eighty nine seventy. Ended up being. 8972, I think, was the official attendance that was announced. So that check mark, it was a World Series-esque atmosphere, especially added. I think all Mike White did with his comments was, if you missed them, it was about an eight-second moment out of a two-minute clip that was a very typical weekend preview where Mike White was asked about Oklahoma reloading, and he said, reload. Yeah, they keep reloading. Well, uh, I'm not sure it's all above. Never mind. I'm not going to talk about it. Basically insinuating that uh, the way that Oklahoma adds players is not above board. Uh, I think all that really did was kick the hornet's nest because uh, once the fans got into Hall of Fame Stadium, it was uh, Mike White, public enemy number one. He will be booed to and from the circle every time he makes a decision. Uh, I think it just added to kind of that it made it sound like a World Series game, even though they were missing kind of the stands in the outfield. And Oklahoma just uh, put on a show for the fans. They did that on Friday and Sunday, despite falling down 1-0 to all of it. Uh, after the game, Mike White attempted to clarify his comments. He said it was taken out of context. He's like, he point blank asked us, did I call Patty Gasso a cheater? No, no, no. Maybe insinuated it, but I didn't say those words. And then he made the case that Texas is a have not in the NIL space and Oklahoma is a have when it comes to softball. So uh, I'm sure that Crystal Conti, the Texas AD is somehow more upset with Mike White after that than uh, it was beforehand. And I think that kind of spilled over into Saturday because Oklahoma, it was the quick turnaround. That's what we kind of talked about. Like the quick turnaround. That's what I wanted to see how they're going to handle that. Texas pitcher, Mac Morgan did a really good job. OU looked flat, frankly, for about five innings of that. Uh, here's the thing. You need one inning if you're Oklahoma in most of those games. And they came out, Jada Coleman with the clutch two run shot in the seventh inning. 
Then it was just like a, this is happening. It's just, is it going to happen in the seventh or the eighth? Kinsey Hansen's the one that finished that off. Then Tiara Jennings just went bananas again on Sunday. Four for four, bunch of RBI. She was named the NFCA National Player of the Week. Um, that's the first honor of that for Oklahoma this year. This is the second time in her career. The last time she won it was the very first weekend she played college softball when Oklahoma just absolutely like battered UTEP. And other than that, it was like Jocelyn Allo who won that bad boy three times last year. So a really, really dominant weekend. And, and Oklahoma navigated the the drama and the emotion. Patty Gasso took the high road on Friday. She quite literally said, I'm going to take the high road. When I look in the mirror, I know what we are here. I asked her on Sunday. I circled back. I was like, hey. In her opening statement on Sunday, she led with Texas is a really tough team, tough to sweep. So the very last question, I was like, look. You said Texas is a tough team to sweep. You're very happy about it. But considering all of the whatever this last week was, this one any sweeter? Um, Patty Gasso declined to address that. She said she was just happy to move to uh, 6-0 in Big 12 play. But um, the smile from Patty Gasso and the smile from Tiara Jennings, that series meant a lot to uh, the program. Okay, Ryan, you did a good job there expressing all the uh, exactly what happened. Now I'm going to dive in. Have at, have at, Mr. White. Have we ever seen anything like this before at such a high level of American sport? Where this is like this this would be like the the, the CEO at Samsung going after the CEO of Apple. And then backtracking, right? And saying, I mean, these are high-level head coach, million-dollar coaches, right? These are people who are paid a lot of money to coach softball, but also be the face of the program and be uh, show a little uh, class and integrity. Like Pat, Patty's talking, high road. Not one of these when your head coach flips off the entire crowd and the referees and everything else at the Big Twelve tournament. What we saw from Mike White, the Texas coach, was, this is my estimation, the single most incompetent handling of any, something as innocent as a, as a video where he started making a statement and then backtracked and declined and stopped. He comes out Friday and absolutely throws dirt on his own, on his own campaign. Like, what are you talking about? How is Texas a have-not? Well, we've got 22 sports we have to, and they only have three. What? <laughs> 22 to three? Oh, so Oklahoma doesn't have any other sports. Um, just completely, completely asinine. Start, starts to throw his video guy, who is the local ABC affiliate in Austin, his video guy, throw, starts to throw him under the bus. Like, deflect, deflect, deflect unbelievably incompetent the way he handled that. Uh, if I'm the athletic director in Texas, if I'm Chris Del Conte, I'm calling him on the carpet and I am saying, don't you ever suggest that we don't have NIL. Don't you ever suggest that we're a have not. Uh, you will be walking if you do that again. It's just unbelievable. The, the high level CEO type million dollar program in charge face of the program. And that's the way you go. Unbelievable. I just don't understand. So where he's going, 
Uh, first off, if he's in a heads-up recruiting battle with Oklahoma, you know what all Patty Gasso has to do? These are two minutes of Mike White's own words where he basically says Oklahoma is the standard. They are not appreciated for how elite their defense is. Um, they, they are what everyone's chasing in the sports. They are the have. We are the have-nots. Patty Gasso works hard at NIL. So if you're Patty Gasso, you're like, okay, like you've heard my pitch. That's Mike White's pitch. Mike White's pitch is to come here because we've got it sorted and, and they can't figure it out. Uh, A&M, who we know is very active in IL, they were aggressive on the coaching scene. They're up and coming a little bit. That They took one of two off a really good Tennessee team this last weekend. Everyone in the SEC is going, yes, Mike White. Yes, Mike White. Keep saying dumb crap like that. We're going to recruit off of this. Uh, so that's incredible. He reminds me of a – he's a good talker as far as like he's engaging and – while he has these moments, like in the press conference, I'm like, that's not a guy that would probably flip off an umpire against Oklahoma State at, at the Big 12. Like He's a pretty engaging guy. But he has the same press conference since as Tom Herman, which is sticking his foot in his mouth over and over and over again. He's just a, like a more talented communicator as far as like actual putting words together, as opposed to having like a really long pause when asked if he has any all Big 12 caliber players than saying some. Like it, it's, it's that energy. It's Tom Herman energy, but he talks a lot more. The thing about, um, did I call her a cheater? You saw the video. Did I call her a cheater anywhere in there? Insinuated it, maybe whatever. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Dude. So dumb. To say That's that. the single dumbest thing I've ever heard a coach say in a press conference. You, okay. You're from down under, right? You're from Australia, right? They speak English in Australia. That's the native language. What the hell language are you speaking where you think, I didn't call her a cheater, I just insinuated a cheater. Where you think that's two different things. What is wrong with you? Unbelievable. <laughs> He's box office. I I, I hope that somehow, someway, what would it take? I guess it would take Baylor beating Texas and finishing third so that Oklahoma, Texas is the semifinal to get us to a Bedlam Big 12 championship. Sign me up. Sign me up. Yeah. Also, Patty's uh, comment on Friday was perfect, was it not? Where she said, I'm not surprised, but I take the high road. I don't have to answer to anybody. I just got to look in the mirror, and I'm very comfortable when I do that. That was a great quote. Perfect response. Like, I'm not getting into that. I'm not. This is mud wrestling. He wants to mud wrestle. I'm not going to mud wrestle. Yeah. Mud wrestling just gets her rings dirty is kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love Mike White. I hope he coaches there forever. Uh, he he's so perfect for Texas. He's the perfect heel. Yeah, um, he is. To, uh, to you know, to Patty's you know very nice motherly uh, you know kind of attitude. They're total opposites, and it's great. I'm glad that Texas is coming to the SEC with OU for that for, you know for, to keep that going because yeah, he is he's perfect. He is. He's like Tom Herman. He's like Chris Beard. He's 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 Texas. He is. He fits right into that. Uh, I know both of those previous two guys I just mentioned aren't there anymore, but he fits the mold. Uh, he's great. I, I love him. He, he's going to keep providing content for us for a long time, I think. So they don't. I said Australia. I said Australia. I made the Stephen Adams mistake. He's from New Zealand. He's not from Australia. He could come across and punch me in the face right now for saying he's from Australia, and yeah. I would take it because Stephen you, know, you like don't that. make that mistake. So my bad. Stephen Adams wouldn't like that. Josh no. Giddy would be okay with it, but not Stephen Adams. Yeah, he he's 
Nicole Mendez makes fun of me when we do radio stuff, but I'm just like, Nicole, I know that you play, and so that annoys you. For us, Mike White's everything you could dream of. of a, of a, uh, he's, he's just, he's incredible. He's incredible. Coach so, forever. Yeah. Mike White press conferences forever. make me happy. He's electric. Coach just keep them coming. Just don't stop. Just whatever you got in the front of your brain, just let it out. Let it roll right off your tongue because it's unbelievably entertaining. It's amazing. It's amazing. Keep it keep it going, please. All right. Uh, wrapping up with a little bit of baseball here. We're weekend for them. Uh, they Like we said last week, they had Stanford coming to town. First top 10 team to come to Norman in the non-conference in over a decade. So really long time. And they split with them, which I think before the week started, after the rough weekend in Manhattan the weekend before, I think almost anyone affiliated with that team, fan, player, whatever, probably would have been okay with a split. I mean, just the way – how good Stanford is so good. Been to Omaha the last two years, primed to make another run at it again this year. That's a really, really good program. And they did split, but the way the split happened is – uh. A little unusual because the run differential is like minus 20 or whatever it is. Because on Thursday and on Sunday, Oklahoma got run out of the ballpark in grand fashion. But they won the middle two games. And that, that that's how it counts. It goes down as two wins, two losses. It doesn't really matter the margins. It feels weird, but it doesn't really matter the margins. So they split the weekend overall. I don't know. We'll see where they go from here. They had bright spots. From just about everything uh, this weekend, they had games where the offense was great, games where the bullpen was fantastic, games where the starting pitching was fantastic, and games where all three of those things were not fantastic. So, I don't know. They're in kind of a weird spot right now. We'll kind of see where they go from here. Uh, but I think overall, a split, you're okay with it. Because like I said, Stanford is really, really good. And uh, we'll see if they can build on it and where they go from here. Josh, they played well in the wins, didn't they? Uh, they got big hits, timely hits, good pitching. So that's encouraging. Saturday but, was the best win of the year. That was a very back and forth game. Yeah, I mean, Kendall was, yeah. Hits the uh, hit, gets big the home run. Yeah, the seventh inning. Yeah, so that that's encouraging for sure. Um, but so you know, again, you look back at last year, you know what they're capable of. You see what on the field, what this team's potential is. But then those other two games, what'd you say? The run differential was minus 23, I think. They lost the first game by 12, yeah, and then the Sunday game by 11. So 23, just those two, yeah. Man, um, I don't know. Long way to go for this team. Long way, to, And that's what Skip said. That's what was one of his comments. There's still, you know, there's a long way to go in this season. So he's encouraged by mm-hmm. the good stuff. Do you, at this point in the season, do you get the vibe that he's more encouraged that, like, aspects of the game have have shown that they can be positive. Like the offense has shown at times it can be really good. The pitching has shown at times and just hasn't been put all together. Or is he more frustrated that you've shown what you can do, but no one seems to be able to, to really find that consistency to, to let them motor through. Like, it feels like the TCU series is really the TCU series in that, in that weekend down, was it in uh, Frisco that they, yeah. Yeah. Frisco weekend. They went to there. Yeah. I think, Skip overall is always kind of an optimistic. Uh, is kind of the way he kind of approaches it. Um, you know, he. I think the thing that is is the most encouraging right now for Oklahoma is that the players have they've stayed optimistic. Uh, they've stayed positive through the the rough stretch there, and uh, obviously, and he talked about it after the game on Friday. I was talking to Skip, and he was talking about how the day before, 
they were getting their brains beat in. That's how Skip classified it in a way that only only he can on Thursday. And he said, even though that was going on, everybody was still up on the dugout, still encouraging each other, still rooting, still fighting, even though they're down by a million runs, still battling. They came back on Friday ready to go at it again. Didn't didn't you know? And and they won on Friday. I was saying Braxton Douthit was fantastic on that in that game. So I think that's the encouraging part. But you know you're going to have to find a little more consistency. And this is a you know a big week here. Or Roberts tonight, or yeah, tonight in Tulsa, they're good. Or Roberts is good. They're twenty and nine this year, and they're undefeated in conference so far. Still early, but undefeated in conference. That's a tough game, and they got to go to Waco this week. Big Twelve is very unforgiving. The schedule for for this team right now is kind of similar to basketball. You know, we joked about in basketball how there's no easy games anywhere in the Big Twelve, and then OU finally steps out of Big Twelve play and has to play Alabama. That's kind of what baseball is doing because there's no easy weekends and they step out and they play Stanford who is a top 10 team. And then later they step out again, they play Gonzaga who's a perennial tournament team as well. So there's not any easy weekends. Any weekend that you can win the series is, is a good weekend. So finding a way to just scratch across wins and I, I, you know, we'll see where they go. They're, they're a weird team. They're a weird team. They are. Uh, They've had high highs and some low lows and uh, we'll see where they go from here. But I don't know. You take the split, I guess. Uh, that's how you feel right now. We'll reevaluate. It's a week-to-week feel right now with that team. All right. Any last things? Gymnastics in the in the championships. You yeah, they're in the uh, championship semifinals uh, next weekend. So um, then they'll they advance in that. And they'll be in the four on the floor, which is almost as cool a nickname as the final four. It's actually a cooler nickname, I think, than the final four. The four teams left on the floor the four on the floor i will i, I gotta give it that is really good but the frozen four frozen four is the best that's so good yeah so good yeah it, hard to top that we, we need to uh backdoor ou hockey into uh out of club level and into where they can compete to make it to the frozen four the frozen four it's always like minnesota duluth and like all these, yeah. it's like only like three states that have hockey good enough to like get that far. It's like Wisconsin, Michigan, and Minnesota. They just dominate. Yeah. I don't know anything about hockey, like the, the rules and stuff, but ha- happy to learn it to go for the Frozen Four. How do I shoot hockey? That sounds impossible. I don't know if I want to. Have you, have you seen that. there's like holes in the glass for like yeah. still photographers? You have to like, you, you pull the glass, the, the plexiglass back and you shoot, you shoot. And then when they like get near you on the boards, you have to like pull your camera out and like cover it up so that's that there's terrifying. a hole in the board. It's oh, a, it's insane. That's horrifying. No thanks. I spend a lot of time on TikTok watching hockey photographers that like <laughs> post videos of them just like shooting the game. I was like, this is an ins- this is an insane proposition. Yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you. I yeah. I the football guys and basketball guys almost running me over once a game is enough enough action for me. I don't need that. All right. I think that's it for us. We'll be back next week, wrapping up the latest from spring camp, of course, and getting ever so closer to the spring game coming up later on this month. And, of course, we'll wrap up all the latest with the Diamond Sports. I'm sure somebody else will hit the portal for hoops before next week's show. So we'll talk about that as well. All that good stuff will be back right here on the All Sooners podcast. You can listen to the shows on iTunes, Spotify, Google, iHeart, Wherever you get your podcast, if you have an Amazon able to find it, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post on our website, allsooners.com. 
click on the player list on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. And of course, you can watch the shows as well on whose YouTube page, John Hoover Media. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff over there. That's it. We'll be back next week. Brian Chapman and John Hoover. I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.